So we said yes. We just said yes. Now what's the question? <laughs> it's a good thing to ask. I just encourage you, uh, if God spoke to you during that time, uh, just reminded of Mary where it says she treasured these things in her heart where God spoke to her. I just encourage you to treasure the words that God spoke to you in your heart and not let them go. The question I want to ask this morning is, what does it look like when heaven comes down? What does it look like when heaven comes down? We talk a lot about it. We talk a lot about the kingdom. We talk a lot about the kingdom and bringing heaven to earth. So what does it look like when heaven comes down? You see, Jesus came to bring a new world order. He came to bring a new kingdom. His message was the message of the kingdom. We're told in Matthew 11 that the law and the prophets were until John. That's John the Baptist. And since that time, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men and forceful women lay hold of it. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is here. He announced the coming of a kingdom and he told his disciples, he told us that we were to go into the whole earth and we were to preach the good news of the kingdom. And alongside that, we were to demonstrate this new kingdom by healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, setting people free, doing the miraculous. So what does it look like for this kingdom to come? What is this kingdom all about? Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're partnering with him in that. When we make the declarations, we're partnering with that prayer that his kingdom would come and be expressed in the earth. And scripture says so much about the kingdom. I've just, over the last few months really, just been spending a lot of time thinking about the king and his kingdom. I had an encounter uh, just before Christmas. Some of you might remember I was hosting or meant to be hosting uh, just before Christmas and I would end up laid out on the floor. Uh, unfortunately, Pete was around to cover me uh, and to step in. But uh, I think it was Hannah Goslett who was leading worship and we were singing about the king. And uh, as we were singing, I just had this vision of Jesus, the king, coming. And uh, as I saw him, the words that just came into my head was, I'm a good king. I'm a good king. And over the last decade or so, for me, a huge part of my journey has been about discovering a good father. And discovering the goodness of God in the father heart of God. That's been a huge part of my journey. And it feels like God's just taking me into a new season of just seeing him as a good king. It's taking those aspects of him as a good father and seeing it expressed through a king. A king who has power and who has authority. He is a good king in every sense of that word. We're told in Isaiah that the government sits on his shoulders. And that of the increase of his government, there will be no end. The increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. Zechariah says the Lord will be the king over the whole earth. Habakkuk tells us the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That knowledge, that word for knowledge there is an experiential knowledge. It's the word uh, yada. And it's the same word that's used to describe when Adam knew Eve 
and they conceived a child. It's an experiential, intimate knowledge that the whole earth would experience firsthand the glory of God. And in Revelation, at the wrapping up of all things, there's this wonderful declaration where it says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. We're in this time in between. The kingdom has come and the kingdom has come in its fullness. And we're in a time where we're seeing that kingdom increase and expand around the earth. Of the increase of his kingdom and his government, there will be no end. We often talk about the seven mountains. If you've been in this environment for any length of time, you've probably heard the term the seven mountains used. And that's a shorthand way, really, of kind of describing the kind of spheres of influence that operate in the world. Things like government, medicine, media, arts and entertainment, and business. The different spheres of influence, education, healthcare. We talk about these as mountains, the things that, if you like, govern the way that society is run and the way that people experience the world. When Micah chapter 4, God speaks about a mountain. And he says this in Micah 4, verse 1. It says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his path. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree. This is a prophetic promise about the coming kingdom. And notice the time period we're talking about. When is this going to happen? In the last days. Not the last day. Not after the day of judgment. When Jesus comes back to consummate all things, it says in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple, I believe that's speaking about his kingdom and about us, will be established as chief among the mountains. People will stream to it. Nations will come to it. And they will ask us to teach us, teach them our ways. We will settle disputes between nations. Peace will come. And there will be provision and abundance. What will it look like for nations to come to us? What would it look like and what would be happening in the earth for the kingdom to be established in such a way and at such a level that nations are looking and saying, we want some of that. We need that. We need what you have. Will you counsel us? Will you teach us? Will you settle disputes between us? Will you resource us? 
What would it look like for us to be established in that way? There's a similar thing expressed throughout Isaiah. But in Isaiah 60, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. That's us. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of nations will come. Foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night so that men may bring you the wealth of the nations. The glory of Lebanon will come to you. I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all nations. You will drink the milk of nations and be nursed at royal breasts. I will make peace your governor and righteousness your ruler. What does it look like for heaven to come down? For the kingdom to be expressed in this kind of way. When we speak about the kingdom, we're speaking about the king's domain. We're speaking about the place where his rule and his reign is established. Where his presence is manifest and gratefully received. We're speaking about the place where his heart is expressed and where his will is done. And where his resources are released. We're called to bring the kingdom. And we know that that means salvation. We know that means healing and miracles. We know that that means deliverance. But as you look through scripture, the kingdom includes those things, but it's also so much bigger than that. If you look at the descriptions in the Old Testament and the New about this coming kingdom, it's so much broader and so much richer. It speaks about freedom and security. It speaks about peace and an end to terror. How amazing would it be to see nations that no longer live with the fear of terror? It speaks about provision and jobs, prosperity and abundance. That passage I read from Micah, the picture there, it describes, was saying every man will have his own vine. That speaks about the ability to provide for yourself. It's a picture about provision, about every man, every woman having a job, having an income, being able to provide for them and their family. And then it says every man will also sit under his own fig tree. The fig tree was a picture of abundance. If you had a fig tree, that was a sign of God's abundant blessing upon you. So a sign of the kingdom coming is job creation. It's businesses expanding and opening. It's you setting up your business and being able to employ somebody so that they can provide for their family. That's the kingdom coming. It's a place of abundance and of prosperity in every sense of that word. It speaks of peace between nations. That the kingdom is marked by truth and justice. Righteousness. Great wisdom and understanding. What are kings and queens going to want from us? Wisdom and understanding. It says that we will be glorious. 
we will be great. And that we will have a great influence in the world. We will be established as chief among all the mountains. That's what you said yes to. That's what you said yes to. And his kingdom is eternal. This kingdom that we're establishing will go on for eternity. We're ushering it in to the present age. And it will continue for eternity. So this kingdom is way bigger than we think. It's about salvation, healing, miracles. But it's also about social transformation. It's about businesses flourishing and expanding. It's about instructing nations on social policy, on peace, and settling disputes. You've only got to look back in our history for some testimonies of this. We love the testimony in this house because we know that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He will do it again. He wants to do it again. And I've been looking back over the last few months at some of our heritage in our nation When I've been asking this question, what does it look like for the kingdom to come? And we've got some great heritage. We've got some great kingdom bringers in our own nation. Does anyone know who appeared on the back of the old five pound notes? They've been replaced now, but the old five pound notes. Does anyone know who was on the back of those? Elizabeth Fry. Elizabeth Fry. She's an amazing lady. I'd encourage you to look at her life. She was a Quaker. The Quakers have done some amazing things, particularly in the areas of business and social enterprise. Elizabeth Fry, she was born in Norwich. She was married and she moved to the city of London. And one day she went to Newgate Prison, which was a women's prison. And she saw the conditions that the women and their children were having to live in in those prisons. You can imagine, I mean, you can imagine going into a prison today. We'll roll that back 200 years and imagine what the conditions would have been like. She saw the conditions and they horrified her. The following uh, day, she went back with clothing and blankets and food because she had to do something in response to what she saw. Her family's business then went through some difficulties and for about four years she wasn't able to do really very much in response to what she'd seen. But a few years later she went back into the prisons and she established school classes for the children. For the women she set up sewing and knitting workshops. She got them reading the Bible so that they could learn to read. So that when they came out of prison, they actually had something to do. They had a profession. They had a way of making money. They had a way of supporting themselves in their family. She noticed some of the ways in which the prisons were run. Solitary confinement. They used to just run on a treadmill as punishment. Literally just run on a treadmill. There was nothing productive about that at all. And she called for the abolition of some of those forms of punishment. And she said that people should be put into profitable work for their own good and also for society's good. She was the first woman to appear before a House of Commons parliamentary committee. She gave evidence on the state of women's prisons and on how the treatment of women in prisons should be reformed. She then travelled... Europe, 
speaking and campaigning for reform of prisons. She was one of the leading campaigners to see, to move from punishment through to rehabilitation in our prisons. Not only did she do that, she had 10 children as well. She set up a a school to train nurses, some of whom went out with Florence Nightingale to the Crimean War. And at one point she was ill and she went to the seaside and to rehabilitate. And while she was there, she noticed the lifeguards and they were out in their stations, but they had nothing to do all day. And she established a, a society and got funding to put libraries into lighthouses and into lifeguard stations. When she died in Ramsgate, the lifeguards flew their flags at half-mast, which was an honour that was only preserved for royalty. Queen Victoria met with her on many occasions and supported her work. The king of Prussia came and she invited him to visit the prisons where she was doing her work. And he came and that contributed to the reform of prisons around Europe. Kings will come to your light. There are others, Cadbury in Birmingham. Those of you who have been to Bourneville. Bourneville is an amazing place. It's one of the most... uh, One of the places that people in Birmingham is one of the most desirable places in Birmingham still today. The Cadbury brothers were were radical in their day. They were one of the first to take their factory out of the city and into the countryside. Why? Because they realized that if their workers were living in the slums, they really had no hope of changing and reforming their lives. And so they bought a a factory in the country, one of the first to do that. And not only did they do that, they then built houses and a community for them to live in. They gave them gardens and recreation. They were pioneers in the way in which business could be done and and the, the social benefits that that could bring. Amazing men of God. They also brought over innovative uh, chocolate making processes into the UK. It's an amazing story. And they supplied their chocolate to the royal family. And there are other examples as well. Round trees. Those of you who like the sweets. Clark Shoes. They were Quakers. At one point they had 40% of the shoe business in the UK. And they asked God for creativity in their business. And they developed a new process for tanning shoes. William Wilberforce, who led the abolition of the slave trade. I heard about a recent example, a friend who I met recently up in Sheffield. And God gave him the idea of praying for people in A&E. And at first he thought, well, maybe I'll get to pray for folks when they are in the waiting room. And he went and shared what he wanted to do with the chaplain and the nurses at his local A&E department. And now they don't just get to pray for people in the waiting rooms, but they've actually got NHS uniforms, full security clearance. They can go anywhere in the A&E department that the doctors and nurses go. They get to pray for the staff before, during, and after their shifts. The staff will bring them in to comfort, counsel, and pray for patients. They've had patients say, 
I don't need to see a doctor anymore. Now, the answer to that is... The answer to that is, just wait there a minute. We'll just go and get a doctor to check you out. But they've been so successful. There's actually been a master's student who's studied the impact of what they're doing. And now NHS England has said to them, we want you to apply for funding so that we can roll this out in other hospitals around the UK. The wealth of nations will be given to you. So what part do we have to play in this? Well, God's spoken to us about having a Joseph anointing. He's spoken to us about feeding nations. But about 12 months ago, Julian Adams was here. He brought that word about Joseph. And he said, you're about to establish a Benjamin gate. And he said that Benjamin gate was a gate in the walls of Jerusalem where tradespeople and foreigners would enter. Business people and unbelievers coming in. He said that it was to impact business. That it was to bring salvation. That it was to impact education. He said that a new sound would be released from us. Media. He said there would be an explosion of creativity and imagination. And this was to add to what we were already doing. And he said that God wanted to catapult us to be an international influencing hub. And at the moment, you probably, you may see that actually there's expansion going on on all sides within Eastgate. We're expanding into all these different areas that God is drawing us into. God, I believe, wants to put us at the highest place. We're called to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. I believe that in these spheres, God wants to put us in a high place. And not just us. He wants to use us to catalyze others to catalyze other organizations, to catalyze other people around this nation and around Europe into their kingdom position. God is calling us to a place of great influence. And just on that, I just want to say, I just want to say thank you to those of you who are currently studying. I know a number of you who are doing master's degrees and doctorates and who are studying to develop what you're doing. I want to thank those of you that are having counseling, having coaching to develop who you are and what God's put inside you. Because I really believe that God wants to catapult us to a place of great influence. And now is the time to get ready for that. I was thinking about this earlier. Yeah, if you've got children... If you just give me one minute, just give me one minute. But I was just thinking, King David, when he was out on the backside of nowhere with his sheep, how many of you know that it was a great thing that he practiced with his slingshot? He practiced the skill that God had given him. Why? So that when the opportunity came to save a nation and for God to catapult him to national prominence, he was ready. I believe we need to get comfortable with the idea that God wants to make us great and he wants to put us in a place of great influence. And that involves partnering with him. It involves anointing. It involves relationship. It also involves getting good at what we do. Why don't we stand? Wow. Why don't you just put your hands out?
Why don't you just say yes to God again? Why don't you say yes in your heart? Just say yes. Just say yes. Just say yes. And if you haven't got an answer yet to the question, what is it you're asking me to do? Then keep asking until you get an answer. And if it's, if it's not big enough to scare you, then keep asking until you get a bigger answer. He wants to make us great for his glory, that his kingdom and the knowledge of his glory would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And Father, we just say yes to you today. Father, we love your kingdom. We love your kingdom. We love your goodness. We love everything your kingdom is about and everything it stands for. We love everything about you and who you are. And we just say yes to you and partnering with you. And Father, I thank you for an expansion and an explosion of what you're doing in this place, in and through us. I thank you for those organizations and people we come into contact with, for an explosion and an increase in what they're doing as well. And Father, we just say yes to you, raising us and raising your church and raising your people as chief among the mountains. And Father, we lift our sights and we lift our belief of what is possible. We lift our belief of where you want to put us, the kind of positions you want to put us in. We lift our belief for the kind of uh, level you want us to reach. We lift our belief for the, for the skills and the, the giftings and the resources that you want to pour into us. Father, we just lift our, our level. And we just say we don't want to put a lid on what you're doing. We don't want to limit what you're doing. Father, we want to see the whole earth filled with your glory. And we want to play our full part in that. And so we just say yes to you. And Father, we say do it again. Those things you've done in this nation and in the nations, the people you've used. We say do it again. Father, and we just say yes. We, we agree that you could do that through us. Father, we say yes, do it through us. Do it through us. That we would entertain kings. That we would influence nations. Father, that we would see your glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And Father, I just release anointing. Father, I release anointing that can do what we can't. Father, that can take us places we can't get to. That can bring us things and people that we could never do ourselves. Father, we just say we want to partner with you. Uh, Father, we want to glorify you by being great and doing the things that you've called us to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wow.